0: I'd like you to open your Bible to John chapter 8 and verse 31 and verse 32. We are in a series called Living Liberated. Living Liberated. Jesus tells us in verse 31 of John chapter 8, He says, If you continue in My Word, then you are following Me. Then you are My disciples. And if you're following Him, this will follow you. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Does your Bible say that? You shall know the truth. So knowledge of the truth is very important. Not hearing sermons, not attending church, not being a good member somewhere, that's all fine. But unless you're hearing the truth, that amounts to nothing. It won't do you any good. Truth is a premium. Man should seek it with all of his heart to know the truth. And the truth that he's speaking of is the Word of God. And you can only know the Word of God as the Holy Ghost imparts that knowledge to you. Because a man cannot, by searching, find out God. Only the Holy Ghost can show you what it means. Remember Jesus said some people have ears to hear and can't hear? It is God who opens your ears so that you have that moment in your life, those moments in your life in which you say, praise God. And that's what we want because those are the words that will make us free. Now in this series so far, I've said this, if you want to stay free and you have been made free by Jesus, he liberated you at the cross, spoiled principalities and loosed us and so forth. Now we are brought Out of darkness into light, free. All of our past is forgiven. We're free. But we have to live free. We have to stay free. Because there's too many verses in the Bible we've already looked at that says, The devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. Well, if that wouldn't apply to Christians, there would be no reason to say that. We're told that there's going to be fiery trials and that many are going to fall away and that the devil's going to do this and do that. We're told to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Well, he's after us, and we have to deal with him. We can't just say, well, I went to church this morning, I got saved, and so uh, the devil can't touch me anymore. Well, that's deception, because he certainly can touch you. Jesus told Peter, he said, The devil had desired thee that he might sift you as wheat. And so it's a dangerous thing for you to think that just because Something happened, and you're free, that there is no requirement in your life to maintain that freedom. Now, God has given you all the equipment that you need. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. Why would we fight if we can't be deceived or can't be beaten? We're told the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. Well, why do we need weapons of warfare if he can't do nothing to us? Obviously, a careful reading of the Scripture lets us know that the warnings in the New Testament are many that just because you're a Christian, don't think that you can't stumble because a righteous man can fall. God will lift him up. But you must be cautious. You must be sober and circumspect. You must take heed. You must give the more earnest heed. You must, you must, you must, you must throughout the New Testament because we have to maintain our freedom and not take for granted anything. We're soldiers. We're fighters. And we're after something, and the devil's after us. And the three or four things we've already mentioned so far that if you want to live liberated, you have to guard your mind because your mind is a battlefield. That's where the devil begins, thoughts in your mind, giving you ideas of something other than what God has given you, trying to make you, instead of a stickler for the word, make you reasonable or logical or, you know, using more common sense. And I don't know if the Bible says that, but now don't you think. And he goes after your mind. That's the way Eve was deceived. And then second thing that we said was, if you want to maintain your freedom, you're going to have to guard your mouth because you can be snared by the words of your mouth. Now, if a Christian can't be snared, then why would it say that? Or death or life is in the power of the tongue. Or in Matthew 12, it said, by your words you shall be justified, or by your words you'll be condemned. So you have to be careful what you say. How many times have we said things we had to repent of? Things that opened us up to something whereby the devil can have a part of us. The Bible said you're not to give place to the devil. Remember that? And people usually do by what they say. We're taught what we should say and what we shouldn't say. Our conversation, our speech is very important because God delivers us on the basis of that. Not good intentions, but really how you live and what you say. You've got to guard your mouth and guard those angry moments in which you let your mouth go. You say things you shouldn't say and your speech is rude and your actions are bad and so forth. You can't do that because you're a Christian. The devil aggravates whatever he can do to get you to respond to that so that he can gain some access to your life. He doesn't take over your life. He doesn't have to. He just needs to get in there and make you miserable, make you wonder why things don't work well for you, and they work for everybody else, and you can't seem to get ahead, and I'm always this, and I can't, and I can't, because eventually you'll quit. Remember, the devil's goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. Now, third thing that we said, you've got to guard your faith. The only thing God has given you to fight the good fight with is faith. There is no other way in the Bible to resist the devil. All God has given you, (laughs) but this is plenty, but he's given you his word. And he said, now, what you've got there is the only thing on this earth that I watch over, guarantee to perform. You can expect of me what I have said to you that I will do because I'm a reliable and faithful God. What I said, it, if I said it, I'll do it. If I spoke it, I'll make it Good. Now, that's what you can trust the Lord for. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And if you want to walk by faith, you're going to have to walk according to that Word. You're going to give up something in your life that's keeping you unfaithful so that you can be faithful to God. You begin to make adjustments in your life. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, so you start doing that. Every time you make an adjustment, it's another degree of faithfulness in your life. That's how we live. We live by faith. We've never seen God. Very few people have ever heard Him. I cannot verify His existence by any natural experience I've ever had. But I believe this book. And even this book is under attack. You know, people say, well, it's not exactly reliable all the way through because it's been copied so often. That's all I've got. I humble myself, as the Bible says, you humble yourself to this word. I lay aside all of my intellect and knowledge and all my cleverness and whatever high opinion I had of myself, and I lay all of that aside and say, No, I'm just going to do it this way. And a man who does it that way is a man that God says is wise. You don't always feel wise, but He says you are wise. And a wise man will wind up being a faithful man because he'll just say, Well, if God said it, that's the way it is. God said it, and it's so. If God said, I am, I am. If he said, I can, I can. If he said, I should, then I will. I surrender my will to the Lord's will. Jesus did the same thing. I've come to do thy will, O Lord. That's what happens to us. We give our will to the way of God. And we walk by faith. And God lays before us thousands of promises that we can tap into. He gives you a promise of healing and health a promise of supplying all of your needs, of saving you, whatever you can believe. He said, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe you have received them. It couldn't be better than this. And yet, very few people, it seems, in my lifetime, very few people have ever really believed this. They've read it, they've heard it, and they've quoted it, and they confess it. But I'm not convinced that everybody really believes it, relies on it, depends on it, and trust on what God said to do it. There's always this hesitation. I wonder why it's not working. And yet, faith says it does work. Now, the devil knows that once you start believing God and trusting God, your authority over Him increases greatly. Because Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, the devil has desired you that he may sift you in sweet. But he said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's how we fight him. And that's the way it's supposed to be because that's what gives us the victory. Didn't Peter write this, the one he spoke to, when he wrote in his epistle, he said, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know that? And then he goes on to say, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's how it works. Be it unto you according to your faith. If you want to be released from something this morning that's harassing you, your family, your life, your body, maybe your wallet, I don't know. Whatever it is that is making your life difficult, difficultizing, how's that? Making life difficult. It's an issue that you need to go to God and deal with. But the only way you can deal with God is by taking Him at His word and saying, Now, Lord, I'm going to trust you here. I'm having a problem with this. I'm not doing well here. I need some help. And I don't know what to do, but I'm going to trust you. This is the way we relate to God. We just simply take Him at His word. We count on God to do what He's promised. If He said it, all I've got is that. My whole thing about going to heaven is the fact that He said I could. I've never seen heaven, but I believe I can. Because he said so, and therefore, whatever it takes to get to heaven, that's what we're willing to do. Guard your faith, because the devil knows that you become a real adversary when you are able to look the devil in the eye and say, Get thee behind me, Satan, like Jesus did. And know that God will back your words. Now today, a fourth thing. If you want to maintain your liberty and walk free, you must watch your associations. How's that? You must watch your associations, who your companions are, who you choose to share things and beliefs and and days and times in your life with. A lot of people don't. They just gather to themselves any kind of a nice person. They don't care really what they believe. They don't care what their philosophy of life is. They meet them at a club, at a circle, or association, or some kind of a thing they're a part of, and they just become good friends, and Christians are really careless about their associations. They begin to associate with people they should not. I'm not talking about bad people, ugly people, or anything like that. I'm just talking about people who are not on the same page spiritually as you are and don't want to be. And the things that they talk about are things that bother you, but you can't correct them because they wouldn't be your friend anymore. So your relationship with them is on their terms. That's not a good thing. Turn to two scriptures this morning to begin with. First Corinthians chapter 15, which you're familiar with, First Corinthians chapter 15 and second Corinthians 6. Now we'll get to the second Corinthians six in just a moment. First Corinthians 15. We've heard it, read it, Considered it a long time, many years. But it has little influence, and I say this by thinking about how much in my lifetime of standing in the pulpit with people that I know and have known, how little influence this passage of Scripture has had on way too many people. And I'll tell you why I think it has little influence in just a moment. Verse 33, "'Be not deceived.'" Evil company corrupts good manners. Now, if we only know it by the English language, and we don't know what maybe the Greek word is that was translated into English, we usually skip that verse because of the word evil. Because the people you run around with, the people you fellowship with and talk to a lot and associate with... You'd never call them evil because we think of evil as somebody who's in prison who did a lot of bad things, hurt people and killed people, robbed and did a lot of things. Awful people. It would never occur to us that in the Bible, evil is anything that is apart from God. That would just never work. Didn't Jesus call His disciples evil once? Did He say... If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children? Well, he didn't mean they were vile. He just meant that the condition of your life, the manner of your life, the way you conduct your affairs, is not the way God wants you to do it, and it's leading you to destruction. Therefore, it's evil. Your philosophy in life, which is not about God but about human things, is evil. Your choices in life... To be self-centered and selfish are evil choices. They make you unacceptable to God. Is there not sins in people's lives that are so bad that even God says, for this cause He gave them up? Read Romans 1. For this cause He gave them up to their vile passions. He warned them and warned them and warned them. They just kept rejecting God. And He gave them up. Would that be evil? What about somebody who cusses and watches pornography? Uh Uh-oh. Would that be evil? Our evaluation of people whom we like to fellowship, whom we derive pleasure from. We like to talk about gardening and sowing or hunting and fishing. And we just have such a good time. I enjoy being around them so much. It would never occur to us that perhaps this is an evil influence coming into your life because they are compelling you to lower and hold back your testimony about what you believe because you want to maintain fellowship with these people. And you know they don't believe the way you do. Nobody would ever call that evil because evil is a word in the English language. Oh, it's just such a... But notice what it says going on. Evil communications. Now, communications is a word which simply means a being together, a companionship. It's not so much talking, though it would include that, because you couldn't be friends with anybody without talking to them, I wouldn't think. It's close contact with people. Communications is a word that would describe who you choose to be in your space. How's that? People that you desire to be close to, to share with, and to fellowship with. I've wondered many times in my life why people in an assembly or a church do not have as their choice friends, people in the church. It's always people outside of the church or in other churches. That's who they spend all their time with. I do wonder about that, and I'll get to that in just a minute. You won't like it, but I'll get to it, okay? Because you see, companionships or communications, I think that Jesus meant for those of like precious faith to come together and be together and share together and talk together, and spend time together because we believe in the same things. I think it should be like that. I think that's the way God intended for it to be. I think in Ephesians 4, didn't we hear that till we all come to the unity of something? Till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, stature, and fullness of Christ. Till we come to that. How many nice, good people in other churches have no interest in that at all? I'm not trying to pick on other people. Let me just say that at my age, with my experience, and where I've been, whom I've known, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not an expert, and I'm no hero, but I do know what I'm talking about when I talk about this, that you cannot share what you believe with people who don't want to hear it. And therefore, if they don't want to hear it, you won't talk to them about it because you value their fellowship more than you would maybe God's. I don't understand that. I really don't. I have lost more friends by far, I think, than I've ever had simply because my guidelines and my parameters for fellowship are somewhat narrow. I talk with anybody, speak to anybody, stop on the street and talk with anybody. That doesn't mean they're my companions in fellowship, but just people that I talk to. There's nothing wrong with you on the job site, you know, around people that you know are not Christian. You can be nice and kind and cheerful and joyful because we're Christians. We're like that. But we would never want to get in a boat with these people and spend a week with them because it's just the influence is so much different than what influences you. What guides you is not guiding them. How can they get along? We'll get to that in our next verse. Christ wants us to be a pure people. He wants us to gravitate to each other and to avoid anything, any kind of conversation or friendship that would corrupt us or distort us or turn us aside from the Lord because that would be evil. This is recorded in the Bible forever. It needs to be heard again. Let me say it again. Bad company, evil, anti-what-you-believe, about God, company will eventually corrupt you if you let them be your company. They'll change you. They really will. The word corrupt there, the word corrupt means to bring to a worse state. You're dealing with spirits here. The spirit of this world is different than the spirit of God. The spirit of God leads you to the kingdom. The spirit of this world leads you to hell. The spirit of this world makes the world the grand desire of all the ages to have and to get and to be. And God says, you die on the cross, you give up rights to yourself, and you follow Jesus. Two different worlds. The influence of God's kingdom, if I'm really living this life, if I'm a Christian and I'm living the way I'm taught, the way I should live, as I live this way, my life takes on a new direction a new way. If I am trying to put this in fellowship with somebody who's living in a different direction, it isn't going to work. Go in a different direction. You see, they just corrupt you. The word corrupt here is the same word that was used in Second Corinthians 11:3, how the devil deceived Eve, how he corrupted her thinking, by suggestions and thoughts, fellowshipping with her. She's spending time talking to him. Him taking advantage of her talking to him and puts thoughts in her mind that when she dwells on them, she begins to act on them, and that corrupted her. That's how it works. Christians should be more cautious than they are. Good manners, at the end of verse 33 there, evil company corrupts good manners, simply has to do with your behavior, your conduct, the course of your life. It's what we see in each other. I note you by your conduct. We can often tell what somebody believes or what their belief in life is all about by their conduct. Where you go, who you run around with, what you watch, how you dress, how you drive. There's so many things about our lives indicates whether or not we've been influenced by God to honor Him with these things. And... If we are the way we ought to be, then we'll live the way that we should. The word manners here comes from a Greek word ethos, from which we get our English word ethics. And so it said bad company will make you ethically not what God wants. Your choice is in life. The way you're going to deal with something in your life will not be the way God wants you to do it because of the influence that you have permitted to be in your life. And I don't want to get on to my space and your space or their space or Twitter or clutter or anything else. <laughs> I'm just saying that your companions and who you listen to, who you're dealing with all the time, you need to be very careful. You need to know that God is warning us about things of that sort. There is a verse in Second Thessalonians. Let me read it for you. Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse six. It says, Now we command you, brethren, we command you, brethren, in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother or sister, from every brother who walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which you have received of us. Now, how narrow is Paul? Why, today, if he was anybody of note, they would be printing all kinds of rude articles about him. This guy thinks he's the only way you ought to go. He thinks the way he's been taught is the only proper way for us to go. And he said, you know, withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. Has there ever been a time in the history of our little church here that somebody has walked disorderly? Disorderly means what it says, disorderly. It's a military word having to do with rank. When you're required to live a certain way, when you're a certain rank, you're not allowed to do some things and you shouldn't do some things. Well, apply that spiritually and you see that God has called us to live a certain way with our eyes upon the Lord, obeying Him, He gives the orders. Now, that's the orderly way of life. They said, but there are people in the church who live disorderly. They don't want to do it that way. They want to have fun. They want to do it some other way. They don't want to have to dress like that, like other people, like the world out there. They want it that way. They want to watch what people watch, do what people do, go where people go, so they study people, they study their ways, so they can live like that. That's what they do. And Paul said, I didn't write this. The Lord said, because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, God said, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. And who's disorderly? Well, you'll know them by their fruits, what they talk about, how they act. What if I told you this morning, standing here, that in my opinion there are people here, a number of people who aren't saved. Now, why would I say that? Because I'm mean, ugly, and been gone too long. Now, you can just tell, I can look at a lot of people I have for years, 30 years in this church. Almost half of my life. Probably is half hidden. Well, you know, I've noticed a lot of people that don't pay attention, never seem to be moved by anything that is said. Look at their watch a lot. They're gone now, but people used to fall asleep. Do I think their life is in order? Do I think that they have a heart to hear from God and to align themselves? At? Do I think they came here today to hear what the Lord said? No, I don't believe that. They came, and I'm glad they're here. But a lot of people aren't here because they have a need for this. They just come maybe because their parents makes them come or your wife or your husband or your friends or whatever. And your life telegraphs. What's in your heart by how you live. On the job site, can't control your temper, throw things, curse. Glance at pornography every now and then when the other guys have it. Things like that. Your life is not in order. That's why spiritually things don't connect for you. Things don't fit the way they're supposed to fit because things aren't in order. And they're out of order because of decisions that you have made. Now, who has influenced you to make those decisions? Who influences you to hang around and laugh at their jokes and tell some of your own? I don't know, but that's a choice you made. And it is reflected in the lack of spirituality in your life. Take our other verse, Second Corinthians chapter 6. This is not a kind verse to a lot of people who don't want this to be true, but it is true. Verses 14 through 18, you know this verse. He said, verse 14, in light of what I've just said, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, what is an unbeliever? That's somebody hanging out in a beer joint. No, the word unbeliever is the word believe. Pistos, with an A in front of it, which is negative. Whereas a believer is one who is persuaded to do, you put an A in front of it and it means unpersuasable. Unwilling to do that. And the church, the Christianity, is full. Trust me with it. It's full of people who will not allow themselves to be persuaded to live according to this book. They have a way they want to live that they can see in this book, but they won't live all of it. Don't want to, for whatever reason. But he says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Unequal means with people who don't share your sentiments, who don't share your faith, don't share your beliefs, don't want to see it your way. And notice he goes on to say, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? You're trying, they're not. And what communion has light with darkness? The things that God has shown you, they don't want to see it. And yet you lack their fellowship. And what concord or union has Christ with the devil? What part is he that believeth with an infidel? An infidel, again, a Greek is simply a word which means an unbeliever. One who refuses to be persuaded will not do it. Maybe a nice person, nice man, nice lady, good people in society, kind and well thought of and all of that. But they are unwilling to do what God says. The statements the Bible makes to you is then what fellowship do you have with people like that? Well, they're nice. Well, the world's full of nice people that are not saved. You need to draw a tighter line in your life about who is and who isn't. And we'll get to that again in just a minute. you got to have your boundaries defined. I'm not going out of here so I can be your friend. If you want to be my friend, you've got to come in here. Like Paul said, if they don't agree with this word, mark them. Who was Paul? He was an apostle, a servant of God, wrote half the New Testament. Was he arrogant? No, he was faithful. What if I told you that if you hear what we've been teaching you and you go out and and you violate this, then we shouldn't even have fellowship with you? What if I said that? Actually, I just did, but what if I said that? Well, you would probably be offended by that because here's human nature. Look, just because I'm not perfect doesn't mean you should try to cram this stuff down my throat. And we're saying, I'm not trying to cram anything down your throat. We're trying to do what Jesus gave us to do. Ministry's goal is to make disciples, to point you to Christ, not to a building, a system, or somebody, but to Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to do that, then we need to warn you. You can't be a Christian and live your own way. You can't be. The only right way to live is His way. This is the way walk ye in it. And that's the way we're supposed to live. Those are the people we should fellowship with because I don't have to hold back my beliefs with people like that. I can talk about tongues with people like that. You're welcome. Amen. And so he goes on to say, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says, For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, In light of that, come out from among them. Who is them? Well, he just defined them from verse 14 on down. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, let me ask you a question, all you thinking people. If God said, come out from among them and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, well, what if we don't? What if we just sort of set it aside? And so you don't pay attention to who is, well, in darkness or in light, who's in agreement, who's out of agreement, who is righteous. What if you don't pay attention to that and you just run with them anyway? What does it say? Didn't he say come out and be separate? He said, listen, on the basis of this, I will fellowship with you. Are you here? On the basis of your choices, God isn't going to make you do it. He says, do this. And if you will do this, I will receive you. We have fellowship with each other. Did he not say to a bunch of people in Matthew 7, I never knew you? They were hot shots. I've known a lot of hot shot preachers. I've known a bunch of them. Most of them are gone now. But, oh, they were big at this and big at that and big at this and that. And you go out and fellowship with these people and you think, are you sincere? And you begin to see things in their life that underlies all this other stuff. When God says, I never knew you, He meant that. He doesn't have fellowship with everybody because they attend church. Just because you raise your hand or come to church, that doesn't mean that you and God are close and that you can... Depend on him to do all this stuff for you. He gives you a way to live. He says you've got to separate yourself from everything that God is going to judge. And you've got to align yourself with everything that God holds righteous. If anybody's going to be in your space, they're going to hear about what you believe eventually. They're going to know it. And God says if you'll do that, I will receive you. I will receive you. I guess it would mean if you don't do this, I won't receive you. Amen? Amen. That's right. Verse 18, he adds this to it. And I'll be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I remember a fellow once telling me that every church needs a father. That a church without a father is producing orphans. This is new stuff. And that by father they mean Apostle. But I'd like to say this to you, that if you're willing to live the way God wants you to live, He will be your Father. I think you've got evidence of it right there in verse 18. And I will be a Father unto you. Now, if you want that, then you've got a way to do it right there in front of you. That's the way He wants you to do it. In verse 17, He says, come out from among them. Didn't He say that? Now, I want you to go to the Old Testament. I want to turn to two places of Scripture where he talks about this. One is in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 53. And the other one is in Exodus 33. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 53. For thou didst separate them, talking about, this is Solomon's prayer, This is what Solomon is saying back to God in his prayer about what God did with his people and not everybody. He said, For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth. Does it say that? To be thine inheritance. As thou spakest by the hand of Moses, thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now, in order for God's people to be His inheritance, according to this verse, in order for God's people to truly be His inheritance, what did God do with them? He separated them from the rest of the world. Why? Because they can't be the way God wants them to be and mingle and associate with just the opposite of God. You can't do that. If you want purity and cleanness and holiness in your life, then you can't hang around the opposite and be like that. You can't do it. Now, you think you can, but it's evident to a lot of people that it's corrupting you because the Bible said you can be corrupted. And in Exodus chapter 33, a very wonderful verse of Scripture here about separation. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Moses said, if thy presence go not with me, then carry us not up. We don't want to go. If you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go. Because here's a man that knew God and knew the benefit of God's presence. How that puts you over. That makes the big difference. So here's what he said in verse 16. For wherein shall it be known... Here, that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. How will it be known in this world today that we have found favor with God as His inheritance or His chosen people? How shall it be known? Is it not that you go with us and so shall we be separated? How shall it be known? Read that again. How shall it be known that you, God, you are with us, going with us, backing us, promoting us, encouraging us, holding us up, and so forth? How will it be known that we are doing this except we be separated? Except we be separated. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. This is way back in the beginning of the Bible. God said, my people are not like the world. Anybody that's like the world comes under judgment. You're in the world, but I've called you out of the world. And I've given you instructions on how to live. I will teach you and instruct thee in the way of righteousness. This is the way I want you to live. Walk in this way. Now, as he said earlier, when you do, I will receive you. I'll be your father. It will be noted by others around you that God is with us, that these people have been with God. They call you lucky and all of that because things go well for you, if they're going well for you. The world knows that they are. They know that everything you put your hand in prospers. Everything you touch, God blesses it. They don't know it's God doing it. You just seem to have this blessing or this gift. And the reason you do have is because God is blessing you and honoring you. You made a big choice. You made a good choice to terminate your old life and to take up a new life. And to live this way, you're getting hammered for it. You're being persecuted, whispered, and talked about. But God is blessing you along the way, so talk. I esteem the riches of God greater than the riches of man. And so you just live this way. You walk this way. And people take note of that. And you're supposed to be able to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, aren't you? Somebody's got to see it. A lamp that is shining, a light that is burning brightly, gives light to whoever's around it. You cannot help but note, what is it about you that's what it is? Then you tell them it's Jesus. He brought me up out of the miry clay. Remember that one in the Psalms? Set my feet upon a rock establish my goings, put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And then he says, many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord because they see it out of you. This is why God's grace and favor rests upon people. This is why we are so joyful when we're joyful. It's why it's so easy to worship Because I know Him. I know He has blessed me. He is with me. He keeps me. And I look back for 43 years in my life. I look at 43 years of Christianity in my life. And I praise God. I've been well for 43 years. We raised seven children. We never had a doctor's bill. Shouldn't I be thankful for that? I'm not clever enough to do that. There's many times I didn't know if I could do that or not because some of the nights were long. And oh, I don't know if this is, oh, God. I've been tested and tried. I've seen things with broken bones and gashes and cuts and corruption and bleeding. And, and yet, every time you take that to the Lord, He's there. I haven't been disappointed in my life. I've met so many Christians that are so disappointed that it just didn't work for them. It does work. The reason a lot of things aren't working for people is they're making bad decisions. They're ignoring a lot of things that God said. He's not going to bless you anyway. You live this way. This is the way he wants us to live. And again, he said, how will it be known that we have found grace in your sight and be separated from the world? Because you're with us. God doesn't walk with everybody that says, Lord, Lord, didn't he say that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom? Words don't get you there. You'll use words when you get there, but words don't get you there in and of themselves. It's a the heart that wants to live God's way. you got to have that to make those right decisions. God warned his people through and through. When he brought them out of Egypt, they went into the promised land. Do you all remember the instructions that he gave his people when he went into the Canaan's fair and happy land, what he told his people to do with all the people in that land. Remember what he said? He said, I want you to love them. Well, that's just modern day version today. Go into that land and just love them and show them how good God is. Just love them. Oh, you old Canaanite, you poor soul, come here. What did God say to do to them? What did he say would happen if they didn't? He said, destroy all of them. All of them. And the reason was, he said, because the influence, the people in this land, their culture, their generations of living the way they live and what's in their minds and hearts and infused into their children, if you don't get rid of all of them, they will corrupt you. And God said in the end, he said, you are worse than they were before the Assyrians and the Babylonians came. Turn to Numbers. You're back here real close to Numbers. Numbers 33. Leviticus, Numbers 33. Listen to this instruction. Oh, this wouldn't work today. This wouldn't fly today. Verse 51, speaking to the children of Israel and say to them, when you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and love all of them. You're there, aren't you? You're reading it. And you shall destroy all of them. Destroy all their pictures. Destroy all their molten images, their four-leaf clovers, their little Buddhas and everything, and quite pluck down all their high places. Verse 53, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given it to you to possess. Verse 55, our verse. But if you will not do this, if you have a better idea than God does, a better way like so many evangelicals today, they have a better way than this harsh way of God, separation from How are you going to win the world if you separate from them? How are you going to win the world if if you don't dress like them and hang around? How are we going to win the world if we're not mingled with them? It's our love that's going to win the world. We're just going to love them and not point out false things. We're just going to love them. There's people who think that way instead of God's way. Nothing wrong with love. But it never replaces God's judgments. Listen to this. If you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be as pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. And moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. Well, I think it would be a wise idea to get rid of all of them. I don't know how many people... In that day, today I don't know if it worked today at all because I don't know how many people have a heart to serve God to that degree. Get rid of all of them. What do you want us to do with them? They should have gotten rid of them. Then they wouldn't have the problem today. They're still there, and look what they're doing today. He said, "Destroy them all. Leave none of them alive. Utterly destroy." If that's not enough, look in Joshua. That's just a couple of books over to the right. Joshua chapter 23. During Joshua's closing speech, verse 11. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriage with them, and go in unto them, and they with you, know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. His grace will cease, and they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your eyes. This is where the whole idea of Paul's thorn came from, the people that harassed him and made his life miserable. God allowed that, lest he be exalted above measure. But down in verse 13, at the end of that, he said, And thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Let me ask you a question. Would God give His people a wonderful land and then drive them off of it? Look what He did in bringing them out of Egypt. That's one of the most magnificent, probably the most magnificent miracle of all time was the Exodus. All time. And all the plagues that made Pharaoh let go and the Red Sea and then the 40 years in the wilderness and then brought him into the land that was already, grapes were growing, pomegranates were growing, the fields were lush. I mean, he had blessed these heathen with gardening skills so that when his people came in, it was ready. Because the Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So he said, when you go in, here's the deal. You can't let these people stay. You can't mingle with them. You can't associate with them. You can't be in league with any of them. For they shall be as thorns in your side. They shall scourge you and vex you in the land. They will make your life less than what I want it to be. So you're going to have to go in there and make sure that you get rid of all these people. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. You can go to church. You can do all of that. You can give and try and pray and sing and raise your hands and Speak in tongues if you want to. But that never replaces your obligation to walk with God on His terms. That's the only way it's ever going to work. And Judges, go to the next book to the right, Judges chapter 2. And verse 2 and 3. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. He's talking about here as a type of the world. People in the world. You don't get involved with them. All your clubs and organizations and associations that include worldly people, lodges, clubs, associations that are full of worldly people, worldly ways. Are you all listening? How about you out in the electronic land? He said, you shall make no league with them, no fellowship with them. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare unto you. That's exactly what happened to them. That's human nature. When they went into Jericho, remember they said, destroy them all? Take nothing for yourself? And one man saw all that gold and that nice apparel, and he took it. A lot of Hebrew soldiers died because of that. A lot of mothers cried because of one man's greed. It's just human nature to not do what God wants and to do it your way because you think, well, after all, I mean, we could, and then after all, and then and here comes this reasoning from the devil. People live by reasoning far more than they do the word of God. Any kind of subject in the Bible that you don't want to be true, you reason it out. Divorce and remarriage. Well, don't you think? Well, why would he do that? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, I... I know it says it, but see, that's so hard to understand. Don't you think that God meant this? And people make that a doctrine and live like that, and it never works for them. There's just something about living on God's terms that not everybody's willing to do. Having your friends and so forth. So you see, God warned His people, He said, if you want to be the way you should be, then you're going to have to do it the way I want it to be. And then when you do it that way, I'm with you. I'll bless you, keep you, protect you, provide for all of your needs, give you joy and peace every day of your life. You'll be a worshiping, praising person, a good testimony. Others will see it in fear. You're my representative on this earth. Now, in Ephesians 5, let me read this for you. In Ephesians 5 in the New Testament, at these words, beginning in verse 5, he said, For you know this, that no whoremonger or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. But they're nice people. I know a lot of guys that they're just not there yet, but they're trying. You know, they're, yeah, 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 yeah. Verse 6, in response to that, he said, Now let no man deceive you. Don't reason this out wrongly. Let no man deceive you. With words, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. The people who are doing that, God's wrath is going to be upon them. Verse 7, be not ye partakers with them. Don't hang around people that do that, that talk that way or have that as a lifestyle. For you yourselves were sometimes in darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of light. Verse 11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. How many friends would you have if you reproved their darkness? Well, you'd lose friends. But you shouldn't have them as your friends anyway, or as companions. You can be friends with a lot of people. They don't have to be your companions. See, there's two notable effects that I want to share with you in closing this morning. There are two notable effects of wrong associations. Two things you can guarantee yourself that will affect you if you choose to have wrong fellowship, wrong associations, wrong companions. One, you'll be corrupted. You will be corrupted. And secondly, there'll be a loss of blessings. A loss of blessings. And when I talk about loss of blessings, you know what? The great blessing in life is peace. When you have peace with God, your life is not tore up about not having money or having opportunities or being understood or accepted by other people. When you have peace, you're walking well with the Lord. He is with you. He is blessing you. You're not concerned about today. You're not afraid of anything because He delivers you from all your fears. You just make the hard choices. I remember when I got saved. I did not live a Christian life before I got saved, obviously. My buddies, my friends back in Indiana there where I grew up were heathens, infidels, and unbelievers, And by that, I mean simply just did not believe in God. I'm sure they'd all been to church. I'm sure they'd all heard something about it, but nobody was interested in it, so nobody did it. And our life was all about foolishness and goofiness and drinking and cursing and acting foolish and just doing things we should not do, talking bad. And But it was funny. It's like what the whole TV world is about today. Vulgar is funny today. The more vulgar and nasty it is, the funnier it is, and the more this end-time unclean spirit likes that stuff. You would gravitate to it because, <laughs> and yet it's unclean. Something God told you to come away from is that stuff. You don't look twice, and all of that. But I remember after I got saved. June 30, 1960, I knew, I knew that day, uh, somewhere in the next day or two after I got saved, I knew that I would have to confront my friends again because we ran around together all the time. My hunting buddies, like the varmint hunt, I knew this was going to be a problem, an issue. It wasn't a problem with God. It was just simply I knew that what I now believed, they wouldn't accept it. They would acknowledge it. Well, it's good. Good for you. But if I lived my life, if I lived around them what had actually happened to me, they would be offended by it and wouldn't want me to be around them anymore. One of them once said, well, the reason he doesn't come around anymore is he thinks he's too good for us. That's not true. And the answer I had to them was, I haven't seen you come around here either. See, I don't go to them and hang around with them, but I didn't see any of them coming around and hang around me either. Because they knew inherently that what I believed was not what they wanted to believe. And there was going to be a conflict here. And there should be a conflict. Right. I mean, it ought to be uncomfortable for one of us. Yeah. And eventually, we got together, you know. How you doing? Well, I got saved Sunday. Or I didn't see him for a week or two or two weeks. Where you been? Well, I, you know, and then I finally told him. I said, well, I, I got saved. From what? saved. So what we usually had to say was, well, I got religion. <laughs> I got religion. Because everybody knows that, well, you're churchy now. And it wasn't long until, you know, they'd ask a few questions. Well, what, uh, what do you believe now? What you and I would say, well, the Lord exists and you say the Lord or you say God and, or Jesus in a conversation. Oh, <laughs> the word Jesus will stop any conversation in any coffee shop in America. Just say Jesus and it's over, it's done. Everybody turn around like E.F. Hutton spoke. (laughs) Did he say Jesus? Yeah. Oh, no. Is he a freak? A freak of nature? There's just something that is so offensive about what you're given to believe. That when you live that life, the world should avoid you. You live your life. And eventually I did. And my newfound friends were the folks in the church that I had gotten saved with. I knew all of them. I knew their names. Well, Brother Clayton was here the other day. You know, we were in the same school and grew up together. He wasn't my friend. I wasn't his, but I knew him. He got saved. We got saved. Others got saved. We got talking about our salvation experience. We got talking about Scripture. We started studying. sharing Greek and Hebrew or whatever we could, you know, Thayer said. Sprung for a new Bible and even went as far as to get a concordance. I couldn't pronounce any of the words, but I could tell what they meant because it was in English. We got to talking about this and began to discover new things. We got together after every church service and got to hanging around folks that had been saved. I didn't know their names, but I got to know them. They become dear friends. Nobody I grew up with, there wasn't a single soul, not one of my childhood buddies that I grew up with that I could talk to about that. And I had no more interest in talking about that trash that they talked about because I only want to talk about the Lord. I'm telling you the truth. I only wanted to talk about the Lord. I told my class one day in school, I had a, a health class. We were droning through that. And I said, close your books. I said, I want to tell you all something the Bible talks about. Can I read you all a scripture? I'm not going to have a test over there. Yeah, yeah, I'll close the book. With no tests. I started talking to them about the plan of salvation. I did. And the only opposition I had was a young lady in our church. You're not supposed to talk about this in the classroom. And my unrefined ways in, I said, well, go tell the principal. See, that was not good. That was not a good attitude. I said, well, go tell the principal then. This is more important than the health class anyway. It was the Christian kids that would go... All these other kids would actually listen. They never heard it on Sunday. They didn't go to church. Most of them did. But they listened because it was in a a non-offensive atmosphere, and they knew they didn't have to come forward. And they listened. And a whole bunch of kids that year in the school came to the Lord. Not all of them stayed, but a bunch of them came. We met every morning before class in the library and had as many people as in here full of people. Taught them how to give testimonies. They started giving testimonies. We had to stop them say, you got to go to class. The bell just rang. I want to, let me share, let me share this. No, you have to go to class. Word spread all over town. Preachers got upset. The Methodist preacher in town said, you're taking all my kids away from us because they started coming to our church. Of course, I'm thinking, we'll feed them and they'll stay. So you begin to lose friends. You begin to get hammered for your relationship with God and your testimony. But there's something about all of that as I look back on it. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't lose anything. I gained something. All my newfound simple friends were feeding me. They would share what the Lord showed them and I would share with them. They would listen. I didn't have to be concerned with how they thought about this. They were my friends. My friends weren't people who left the church talking about us. I haven't figured that one out yet people that have left and kind of yapped and carried on and been critical and they become close friends, something's really, really wrong. ain't right. What do you share with people like that? But I found my new bunch of friends and it was wonderful. And it still is. You're my friends today. I have two or three preacher friends and you folks... That's about it as far as people that I'll hang around. I don't hang around all of you. wouldn't have time to do it. I wouldn't get anything done if I had to visit with all of you every day. Come on, let's go somewhere. I'm just saying that God puts good people with you, encouraging people, people who really want to do right, who want to serve the Lord, who want to talk spiritual, who want to do things right. These are who our companions are. If we don't have that, then what do we give that up for? Uncleanness? The latest TV things? This Barbie doll mentality today? Is that what you want? That's not what God wants you to have. You get one, you lose the other. Let me hit the pause button here until next week and we'll pick it up here the next time next week I want you to think about this week as you look around your own life who are the people that are in your life who have you welcomed into your life as companions your close friends one of the reasons I enjoy my family so much is not because I rule the roost I'm the big dog not that it's because so far with almost all of them we can talk about the Lord. Don't have to tiptoe around some issues. We can talk. We can talk about Jesus. We can talk about what the Scripture says. I am free to discuss and share whatever's on my heart. I think they are back. And we feed off of that. This is part of our growth together and to full stature. God is good. we come to the time now we're going to take communion together. We're going to partake of the bread and the cup. It's a time in which the Lord himself, on that solemn night in which he broke bread, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Paul says, when you partake of this, remember what it meant and what he did for you and what it should require of you in return. Don't be unrighteous when you take this cup. But have a grateful and a thankful heart when you hold that piece of bread. It's just a piece of bread. That little cup you're holding is just juice. As Jesus called it, it's the fruit of the vine. If you leave it alone, it'll turn into wine, but it's early stages. It's just grape juice. And what this means to you, the symbolism behind it, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And the Lord says, by this you show that he is coming again. Amen.
1: In the passion of your sacrifice We saw the prophecy fulfilled The healer of the world, the wounded Christ Hear you say come follow me So I will, yes I will Follow you Jesus all the way up that hill Follow you Jesus all the way up that hill To the cross where the river runs Crimson even still Yes I will follow you Lord I will Down that sacred path You bled for us Scorned and broken up that hill How terrible the cross How glorious I hear you say come follow me So I will, yes, I will Follow you, Jesus, all the way up that hill Follow you, Jesus, all the way up that hill To the cross where the river runs Crimson even still Yes, I will follow you, Lord I will, yes, I will guilty guiltless for the guilty sin takes its ugly toll with sorrow yet with things I see the blood begin to flow oh the blood the fountain of your grace from above My sins erased I'm amazed That you could show such love Jesus I thank you For the life is in the blood Then I see you in that garden Beneath the olive trees Redemption in the balance As you battle on your knees Thy will be done, Father Those precious words resound With sorrow yet with thanks I see Your blood spill to the ground old blood the fountain of your grace from above my sins erased I am amazed that you could show such love Jesus I thank you For the life is in the blood Then I see you on that hillside Nailed to the tree Your bruised and battered body The punishment do me The guiltless for the guilty That sin might not abound With sorrow, yet with thanks I see Your blood spilled to the ground Oh, the blood The fountain of your grace From above My sins erased, I'm amazed that you could show such love, Jesus. I thank you for the life is in the blood, oh Jesus, I thank you for the life is in you're the...